Good morning, Grace Point. Uh, it is a blessing to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, before I get started, I just want to take a little time to say thank you so much for the many, many ways uh, that this church has supported us and blessed us over the years. Um, since we began uh, our work in Burkina Faso, this church has sent out more people uh, to come along beside us, to minister with us uh, in Burkina than any other church. Um, extremely generous in your financial support and your prayers. And a lot of what we have uh, been able to do over the years would not have been possible without the support of this church. And it's a blessing for us to be here and to celebrate and to worship with you today. The cost of God's glory. If I were to ask you the question, who here would like to see God's glory? Or who here would like to see God glorified? I imagine that a large number of you would raise your hands. Uh, of course we want to see God's glory. And we, we have a story here, a story that's really well known, where we see in this miraculous, powerful way, God is glorified. Glorified in, in, in such a, a way that is undeniable, uh, a, a, a fundamental part of the story arc um, of Jesus as he's in his ministry uh, coming to this point. We have the, this resurrection story of Lazarus, and this is a story that I imagine if you spent a lot of time in churches, you've uh, heard this story before. Um, and there are a lot of really uh, awesome topics or points that you could, the themes that you could talk about uh, with this, this passage. I'm pretty certain I've heard at least a dozen times different sermons uh, on this topic. This is the last big miracle in the book of John uh, before Jesus begins his journey into Jerusalem. Uh, so we're kind of ending uh, his, his kind of public ministry time, and he's heading into Jerusalem to begin that final chapter there. Um, we have this comparison of him, uh, of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus here and foreshadowing his own resurrection in a short period of time. This is the first time that Jesus conquered death publicly. He had, he had raised uh, a young girl before, but it was private. And he specifically uh, told his disciples and others around him, don't talk about this. In this instance, it was the complete opposite. There was a very large crowd. This was a very public person. And Jesus raised Lazarus in a very public way. He's, he's stating his case in front of the people. We have Jesus declaring that he is the resurrection and the life, a fundamental doctrinal point for Christians. Jesus stated, I am the resurrection and the life. These are all really important uh, and probably better topics to talk about. Um, but I want to focus uh, on what God has been showing me as I've been reading through this passage uh, in our current experiences and and. I, I've, one of the powers of the scriptures is that no matter how many times you read them, depending on what you're going through in your life, you see new things. The Holy Spirit shows you uh, different ways, different points of view uh, in the story and allows you to kind of um, keep uh, gleaning 
from Scripture the things that you need at that stage of your life. Part of that is point of view. So now, I don't know about you, but when I read a story, I tend to imagine myself in the role of the protagonist, in the role of the hero of the story. So I'm the one that's you know, defeating the dragons or um, uh, saving the, the, the people uh, in the ocean or doing something you know, important. Whatever the, the, the story is, I am seeing it. I'm imagining myself in that role, that person, uh, going through the story. And so in this case, you know, kind of imagining what would it have been like to be Jesus in that story, working in the village, and then hearing uh, that this person that I cared about deeply uh, was sick. And the decisions that I'm making you know, through that process, I, I'm kind of imagining from that point of view. Now, maybe you guys are a little bit less egotistical than I am. And so instead of imagining yourself as Jesus, you are um, imagining yourself uh, as one of the disciples, you know, you've been through this before. Okay, here, here's something's happening, and someone comes, and Jesus does something that doesn't seem ordinary. And you have to imagine by now that their radar is a little bit attuned to, ooh, hey, we, maybe something's going to happen here, you know? Uh, we've seen these signs before where we think Jesus is going to go do something, and he's doing something a little bit odd, and it, it usually ends really well, but we don't know how it's going to end in this case. And maybe they're discussing with each other, hey, you know, I'll trade you, you, know, I'll trade you a fish if this happens, and you give me your fish if that happens. Um, talking about what, how, is, how is Jesus going to act in this situation? Uh, and so maybe you're, you're reading this story through the lens of one of the disciples waiting and expecting uh, God's glory to, to take place. Maybe you're a member of the crowd. You know, you're not really part of the inner circle. You don't really know everything that's going on all the time. Uh, but you're there, and you're an outside observer watching these events take place. You're, you're at the burial site, and you see Jesus coming in, and you, you, you see the, the energy, the excitement uh, that is taking place. Um, and, and then the miracle of the, two, the, the stone being rolled away and Lazarus coming out of the grave. I mean, you know, talk about things to put on Facebook or upgrade on your Instagram. This is going to be something that is going to be discussed and talked about uh, as this huge event. And you were there. You know, you, you can always say, I was there when that happened. So the point of view that you have in the story can change greatly uh, how you feel about the story or your role in the story. Um, and at this, this time, when I was reading through it, I felt myself reading through it in the role of uh, Mary, Martha, uh, or Lazarus. What was it like for them in the story? We know the end. We're at the end of the story. We know that it worked out. We know that everything turned out well in the end. But for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, during that journey, during those you know, five, six, seven, eight days from whenever he got sick through his death to the resurrection, every day they didn't know how the story would end. This last year has been a very uh, tumultuous year for us. Uh, we were here with you in... Um, uh, November, December of 2017, traveled back the first week of January 2018 to Mahadaga. Uh, we spent a few weeks, or to Burkina, we spent a few weeks in Waga uh, doing a homeschool co-op, 
traveled down to Madaga in February and thought we'd be kind of there for, okay, getting ready for our next two years. Uh, we, were in the, we had taken a midterm break in a four-year term, and we were, you know, getting ready to start up our program for open-door development for the year, um, and we just had to come into Waga for 10 days for a homeschool co-op. Uh, we do three times a year, um, usually October, January, and March. And so we came in, packed our stuff, and, you know, we're... It's always a big deal for us to travel. We don't do it very often in, in Burkina and got to take a lot of stuff with you. But we're like, oh, this is only going to be a, a, you know, a one-week co-op. We'll only be there for about 10 days. We don't need this. We don't need to close the windows. We don't need to do all this stuff. Um, and we pack up. We, we come into uh, Tawaga, and we find out that we can't go back right away. At first it was, wait a couple weeks while the military goes through and does kind of a sweep of the region, and they think they know where a few terrorists are, and they're going to just get them out of there, and then we should be able to go back. And then after that, it became, well, let's wait a few months and see if the amount of uh, terrorist activities that are in that happening in the area are going to go down. Uh, that didn't happen, and it was, let's wait till after Tabaski, this big Muslim festival in August. So now we're waiting from you know, end of March through end of August. August comes and goes, and the situation is, is getting worse, not getting better. And we made the difficult decision as a mission to let's wait until August 2019. Um, and here we are about halfway through that period, and things aren't getting better. Uh, they, they are continuing to get worse. Um, a few more weeks ago, I t agreed to take on the role of the interim country director. It's not a role that I uh, aspire towards. Um, I'd much rather be out in the field digging a ditch or installing solar panels or uh, working with uh, young believers. Um, but this last year uh, in Waga, I've had the opportunity to help out in admin, and uh, we've just seen so many changes where our team is going from about 40 members, 40 uh, singles, couples, or families, uh, about a year ago, down to about 18 um, over uh, by the end of June. Some people are leaving because of schooling, because of retirement, because of sick parents, uh, but some are leaving because of security. Either they don't feel safe, or the work that they want to do, uh, especially the work with Fulanis, Christians, uh, they can't do because our Fulani brothers and sisters in Christ are coming back to us and saying it's not safe for us Fulanis to be seen with foreigners. Uh, and if you can't be with the people you want to minister to, it's very difficult to minister. And so we're going through all these changes, and all of a sudden after uh, about nine months in the office, I look around and realize I'm the last person with any experience left uh, in admin somehow after only being there for nine months. Um, and agreed to take on the role of interim director. So that means for our family now that even if security is perfect tomorrow, I can't go back to, we can't go back to Madaga because we're in this position of interim director on, through our next home assignment uh, in March 2020. So doing that, that math, doing that, cal that calculation of we're not going back, and now we're not going back till then, and then now we have a year of home assignment, and so... Maybe the next time we see Madaga is March 2021. That's hard. 
that, that wasn't our plan. And we're going through moments now where we're actively, you know, questioning why, why is this happening? Uh, 21 years ago, in, in January 1998, uh, was the first time I, I went to Burkina Faso. And I was a student uh, at Messiah College working on an engineering project. And from that point in time, I knew that God wanted me to come back and to work there and live there long term. And everything we did from that point on till 2006, when we went off to language school, was to advance that goal. When Julie and I started dating, um, one of the things that came up really early is, I, I think that God's calling me into missions. If that's not something you're interested in, then you know, we probably shouldn't go very far with this. Um, thankfully, she said yes, uh, and um, that's worked out really well. But so much of our life, our identity, has been preparing to go, getting ready to be there, being there, prepping, uh, spent five years working uh, at the Center for People with Disabilities uh, before starting up our new uh, ministry, Open Door Development. And after all that time, years, we're finally in a rural village, raising our family uh, in, this, in this rural uh, African village, doing community development, everything we felt like God had prepared us for. Been doing that for like the last five years, six years, and now all of a sudden, it's gone. And we're dealing with this loss, this grieving process of, why is this happening? It doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's not part of our plan to, to be going through this. It doesn't make sense from advancing God's kingdom in our plan for, for this to be happening. And we keep telling ourselves, we don't understand it, but there's got to be some way that God is going to be glorified through this process. And we don't know what it is. And we might never uh, know what it is in this lifetime. But that's the hope that we're holding on to. Let's try that again. So returning to this story, Jesus is ministering in an area, and you have people coming uh, that were sent by Mary and Martha to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And I'm guessing he, wasn't, he didn't just fall sick, and then they sent him. He'd been sick for a while, and they realized that it was getting bad. Um, and they sent him to bring him uh, to, back to, to help with the process. But when the messengers arrived, Jesus intentionally waited. So when he heard that he was sick, he, said, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So when Jesus got the news, he did not get up immediately and rush uh, to Lazarus to help him. He stayed and waited for two days. We can go ahead and, and do the math a little bit and realize that most likely when the messengers arrived uh, where Jesus was, Lazarus was already dead. Um, he must have died shortly after the messengers had left because we have, imagine about one day travel time from where uh, Lazarus is to, to where Jesus was. They left, presumably, when he was still alive. Uh, one day travel time there. Jesus waited two days, and then he traveled back one day. So you have four days of travel, and when he arrived back, they found that Lazarus had been dead for about four days. 
So when the messengers arrived, Jesus knew already that, that Lazarus was dead. So he could have come right away and still performed the miracle, but he intentionally waited an extra two days. He knew that the end result would be God's glory and not death. He knew that. No one else did, but Jesus knew that. There is a valid point in waiting the extra two days, because in traditional Jewish belief, the spirit of the body remained around the body for up to three days after death. And in the grieving process, in the wailing, the funeral process, the, the grief grew during those three days. Because in the first day, you still have hope. You know, the, maybe the spirit will, spirit will come back to the body, the person will be alive again. Uh, second day, you're running out of time. Third day, the grieving is the worst. That, that's when you begin losing hope. Because after three days, there is no hope. There is no possible way that the spirit could return to the body. And this was a traditional Jewish belief. And so by Jesus waiting those extra two days, he assured that when he got there, it was on the fourth day. Any possible cultural explanation or justification to how uh, Lazarus was raised was removed. The only way it could be done was through the power of God. God wanted to make sure that he would receive all of the glory. If it had been earlier, there would have been some people who said, yeah, he did that, but yeah, it can happen. By waiting those extra days, he made sure that God received all of the glory. When Jesus arrives, we have these scenes where Mary and Martha are coming to him and questioning him. And when bad things happen in our lives, it, it, it's something that it, it comes out of us, this, this, this question of, of why. Oops. Why did this happen? Why is God allowing this? This is something we're struggling with uh, as a family right now. Why is this happening? And it, it's, it can be a challenge within a Christian community to allow that person to walk through that pain experience and question without questioning their beliefs without making them feel bad that they are questioning because this questioning isn't a sin. They're not doubting who God is, but they are trying to figure out. Their spirits are crying out, why is this happening? And we see both Martha and Mary say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. They are questioning God's plan. How could it be God's plan that their brother died? They, they knew the power of Jesus. They knew that he could heal. And if he had just gotten there in time, he could have been healed. They're not asking for him to, to heal someone who's 100 years old and had lived a long life. They were asking them to heal uh, their young brother, um, uh, and they knew that Jesus could do it. So why wasn't it God's plan for him to do it? And in reality, they didn't understand God's plan. And we recognize that we don't understand God's plan always uh, for our lives, for, for our ministry in Burkina. We thought we did, 
We had it all clearly laid out, got a nice 60-page document uh, annotated with all the steps of how it's supposed to happen for the next 40 years. Um, but that's not the way that, that, that God works. And, and, and in that situation, the situation we're in, the situation that they're in, questioning why is it happening, we're, we're seeking out to try to understand God's plan, because God's plans are not always our plans. We can't look at their questioning or look at the situation that's happening to them and, and, and raise the question, well, maybe, and this happens a lot in, in different denominations, you know, maybe if your faith was stronger, these bad things wouldn't be happening to you. Or maybe, you know, if you prayed more or you did these other things. Uh, in Africa, it's a really big problem, the health and wealth or prosperity gospels. And people believe strongly if bad things are happening to them, it's because they're not faithful enough. They don't believe enough. There's something missing in them. Um, and if they could just be better Christians, then they would be healthy, they would be wealthy, they would be wise. Um, and their life would be perfect. And there are pastors who preach that, and it, it creates such a, a sense of, of depression uh, and uh, oppression on Christians who are trying to then earn God's favor uh, through their actions. We see that that's not the case here. Uh, Mary and Martha were true believers of Jesus. Um, we see in the passages we just looked at that both Mary and Martha were assured that if Jesus had just been there, he would have been healed. They're not doubting Jesus' power or his, his uh, capability. If they had just been there, he would have been healed. Even the crowd, um, this large crowd, was talking amongst themselves. If Jesus had been here, he probably could have healed them. So it's not even like the crowd was doubting uh, the power of Jesus. Martha believed that Lazarus would rise again. Um, she said, Jesus, uh, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She's a true believer. She's not someone who's questioning. This, this event is, is causing uh, challenges in her life, but she's not questioning her faith. She's not questioning her core beliefs. She's just trying to wrap her mind around how this event fits in with those beliefs. And Martha believed that Jesus was the Christ. While, her, while the disciples are still struggling with this question, still going back and forth trying to figure out exactly who is Jesus, what is he here for, what is he supposed to be doing, we have, we have Martha here putting out one of the clearest um, clear statements of who Jesus is uh, in, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. Um, and she says to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. It's not someone who's, who's questioning their faith. Very strong in their faith in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Because remember, at this point in time, we don't know the end. She doesn't know the end. All she knows is that her brother's dead. He's in the grave. He's been there for four days. There is no longer hope. Even in her understanding, there's no hope. Jesus' power 
doesn't extend quite that far. Their pain and their suffering are real. We know the end of the story. We know it works out. We know that there is joy at the end. But the joy at the end doesn't mean that the pain along the way didn't happen. And it doesn't remove the memory of that pain. It doesn't remove completely the scars of that pain. It heals, but who you are after that process can never be who you were before. Lazarus suffered through a sickness just to the point of death. I can't imagine that that was very pleasant. They didn't have a lot of palliative care options, uh, I believe, in Judea at that time. Um, So I imagine it was a painful process um, going through that sickness and dying. His sisters suffered caring for him. They're there day after day caring for him, you know, hoping that Jesus is coming, hoping that he gets better, watching him get worse, you know, going through that, that emotional process, and then he dies. And that, that feeling of loss and pain, and then the grieving process through, through the burial. All that pain was real. It happened. At some level, they, 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 they went through a, a, a loss of hope when Jesus did not come. Have you ever been there when you're praying for a situation and you're so desperately praying that a certain outcome will come and then it doesn't? There's a, there's a loss of hope that happens. It's not a questioning of all your faith and beliefs and not believing in God, but at some level, uh, you are changed through that process. And they suffer through the yep, grieving and burial. But it's important to see here in this passage that they, they did not suffer alone. When we suffer, God suffers with us. We look at verses 33 to 38. We see that Jesus specifically loved them. Looking back at the beginning of the passage, um, John spends a lot of time talking about who these people are. He mentions them by name several times. He, he goes into backstories. He re- refers to Lazarus as the one that Jesus loves. Um, Mary and Martha are, are heavily featured uh, in the beginning. These are not some random people. These are people that Jesus cared for greatly, had a special relationship with them as humans, a special relationship with them. Jesus wept. One of the important things to look at in the the verses here is you you have this idea of of weeping or wailing uh, used several times here. Um, But there are different verbs. And in animistic cultures uh, in Africa and in in Burkina Faso, other parts of the world, uh, here in Jerusalem, the, the grieving process involved lots of very, very loud, involves lots of very, very loud wailing. Uh, you, you, you honor the person's memory by wailing, uh, usually in a, in a loud, kind of hopeless manner. Uh, and this still happens today. This happens in Burkina today at a funeral. It, it, it's amazing uh, to see the, the noise and, and the grief uh, that's being demonstrated physically 
um, at, at, a, at a funeral. Uh, and at, at most of the Christian funerals now, they're trying to move away from that. But in the traditional animistic funerals, there, there's still this, this practice um, because there is no hope uh, in, in those situations. And if you really honor your family member, you even pay people. You pay people, mourners, to come and add so that you have a bigger group of people wailing. So you can imagine, they talk in the passage about people coming from Jerusalem. So this would have been a huge crowd of people that were sitting there and wailing. This loud noise. And amongst this loud, hopeless wailing, you have Jesus sobbing. And the verb brings this idea of this emotional response that, uh, that just comes out of you. Um, I don't know how many of you watch Hallmark movies. Um, I'm guilty. I do like a good Hallmark movie every once in a while. And there are just certain scenes, certain moments that I get teary-eyed. I admit it. I can't help myself. This, is, this, this emotion evokes, is evoked from me, and it, it causes me to, to cry a little bit. And we have this image here of Jesus seeing, uh, seeing the situation, seeing the pain of Mary and Martha, seeing the wailing uh, of this. As a human being, this emotion comes up through him, and he has to weep. But it's not a crying of hopelessness. It's, it's, it's a... a um, it's this companionship of being in a place where there's so much emotion and participating in that emotional response, the sadness that's there, um, but not without hope. And we see one other response by Jesus, which in, the, in this translation is a little bit uh, muted. It says, deeply moved. So Jesus, uh, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. In other translations, it, it talks about um, uh, groanings or uh, snorting. Um, and the, verb, or the, the word that's used there is actually uh, this idea that's often used with horses. It's kind of a snort, a horse. You know, this, there's this angry, frustrated response when you see, uh, you know, Jesus was seeing this, this injustice. He knew that in a few weeks, uh, he would be destroying the power of death. And yet he was here watching how death was, was causing all of this pain in his father's perfect creation. And that, that anger, that frustration at the power that death had, at, at, at what was going on, just evoked this, this snort, this, this uh, you know, reaction, physical reaction um, in here that is documented. You know, he's emotionally invested and tied into this. He hates to see the way that sin is ruining his father's creation. And he reacts. So when we suffer, God suffers with us. So the question for for our family, uh, the question for people in Burkina right now, is how do we remain faithful in the midst of the suffering. We, we, don't, we don't want to suffer. Uh, if there was a way to kind of snap my fingers and we'd be back in Madaga and, um, you know, in the middle of a farm field doing stuff and our kids could be back with their Burkinabe friends and in our home and 
uh, all those things that we've been building for the years be back in that in a second. I would love to do that. But somehow it's not God's plan right now. And as a country, we're, we're, or as a mission, we're going through this process of trying to figure out what do we do next? How do we respond in the midst of these security problems that we're seeing? How do we respond when our Christian brothers and sisters, the Fulanis, come and say, we don't want to work with you right now for, another, for a couple years at least until we think it's safe again? How do we respond to the fear and risk uh, that's going in play, that, that is, is coming through the country? How do we help the Gorma Church, the 1,200 churches that SIM has helped start uh, in Burkina? How do we support and encourage them as now they've only ever lived in a time of peace? And now they're going to be in an area where um, either there aren't a lot of attacks on churches yet, but they're going to be surrounded in an area surrounded by people who are doing attacks, by the government's violent responses uh, to the Fulanis, by inter-ethnic violence between other tribal groups to the Fulanis. What is the church's response in those situations? We can look back through the Bible and see dozens of examples where you know, this has happened. The life of Abraham. Uh, he had God's promise. He knew the end. But boy, he suffered a lot. Uh, sometimes from his own making, his own choices. But he suffered a lot through the process to get there, to see the glory of God through his descendants. We have the example of David, who was anointed to be king and then suffered uh, under Saul, waiting for that time for that to happen. We all know the story of Job. Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. This prosperity gospel idea that if we are good Christians, everything in our life is going to be wonderful and healthy and, and, and financially great, it doesn't make sense by the examples of uh, the pillars of our faith. It doesn't make sense by, based on what Jesus said and the examples that he showed. Often in our lives, if we want to see God's glory, we might have to be willing to suffer and go through a period of time where we don't know the end. We can have hope that God will be glorified in miraculous ways in the end. But during that time of that journey, we don't know how it's going to end. And I don't want to give the impression that the only way to see God's glory is to suffer. Uh, God is glorified through our faithfulness. God is glorified for the, through the ways we love and care for our family, for each other. God is glorified in the way that we step in and help others. God is glorified through so many different ways. But often, the examples that we have in the Bible show God being glorified through the suffering of his people, their faithfulness through that suffering, and then his um, provision, the, the scene of his plan after the fact. In Burkina, we're facing lots of different challenges. Um, and at some point in time, right now, the terrorist groups are, are primarily focused on 
military forces, security forces, police, gendarmes, other groups like that, but they've begun closing down schools. And at some point, we believe they'll turn their attention towards churches and other Christian ministries. How is the Burkinabe church going to be prepared for that? And what is the role of SIM as a mission to help them through this process? Right now, we know that there are parts of the country we can't go to. It's just completely not safe. Uh, we think it's still safe enough in the capital city, and all the missionaries are in the capital now, trying to find ways of ministering and, and working there. At some point in time, that might not be the case. We can leave, but our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they, they can't. They have to stay. They have to be uh, ready to, to go through this process. Right now in the country, we have uh, about 5,000 refugees per day fleeing from the northern parts, from the eastern parts of the country. A lot of them are Fulanis, trying to get out away from the terrorists, but that brings them into contact with other ethnic groups who think that all Fulanis are terrorists. And so that's creating problems. How can the church be salt and light in that situation? How can they speak God's love into uh, times where people are um, fearful and hateful? What does that mean in the United States? It's easy to see kind of the parallels to life in Burkina. Um, And in North America, in Europe, other parts of the world, we do a lot to try to avoid suffering. I mean, no one wants to suffer. Uh, we, we set up our lives in a way that we have redundancies and protections, and we don't tend to live on the edge of life in a way that events can bring us to the, these points. Uh, health is something that often we don't have any control over, and that can uh, bring us to the point of going through something like this. But I want to challenge you and encourage you that don't, don't just try to avoid suffering. Don't seek it out. But if God brings trials into your life, ask yourself, how, how can God be glorified through this? How can I be faithful during these times in a way that's going to bring glory to God? Because in the end, for me, that is why I'm here on this earth right now, is to glorify God. And I'd rather it be through good work and and faithful service to him and things that I love doing in nice climate-controlled countries. Um, But sometimes it's going to be in other situations. And I ask for your help, your prayers, uh, that our family can remain faithful. As the interim director, the decision on when to evacuate people out of the country to either our own family or others is um, now I'm I'm part of that process. And I definitely ask for prayers on knowing when that might be. We don't think it's anytime soon. We don't think we're that close to that process. Uh, But things can change quickly. A year ago, we didn't imagine that any of this would be happening. And now we're here. As you read through the Bible, I encourage you to change your point of view in the stories from time to time. 
and see what it, ask yourself what it would have been like to go through as different characters. And it can open up whole new parts of Scripture to you uh, as, as you see the way that God works and interacts with people in amazing ways for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to all of us here. We thank you that you created us, that you have established works and, and ministries and opportunities for us to serve you. You created these before we were born so that we could walk in them. You give us these opportunities to be part of what you're doing, not because you need us, Lord, but because you want to bless us uh, to be part of your work. We pray that, Lord, that we can be faithful uh, in the hard times and in the good times to whatever it is that you called us to do. And when challenges come our way, Lord, I pray that we would um, hold on to the hope that through these difficult times, you can be glorified, Lord. We pray that we can support and love one another. And thank you so much for the blessing that this community has been to us. In Jesus' name, amen.